Genesis chapter 22. Uh, if this is your first time here, we are preaching through the book of Genesis. And uh, all these things can be found on our app uh, or online at our website. You can go back and hear the full series if anything piques your interest or you'd like to learn a bit, little bit more about Genesis. We call this whole series the basics or back to basics because everything in the Bible after Genesis uh, refers back to the seed of it is in Genesis. And I was struck with that idea, and that's how we started this book. And it is bearing out so much in the book, um, it, it amazes me. I kind of knew it, but it's one of those things, uh, studying it even harder, uh, just seeing more and more and more the truth of that. In the midst of that, um, I heard about an Old Testament professor uh, who said the rest of the Bible is a commentary on the book of Genesis. And I believe that's not an exaggeration. It's very, very true. And uh, so today we're coming to a sermon that uh, I call The Road of Sacrifice. Uh, the test of time, the road of sacrifice. Because uh, what we're going to find here, this is the, uh, when God asked Abraham to, to offer Isaac as a, as a sacrifice on the altar. Now, uh, been in church much, you know that he didn't have to go through with that. God didn't want him to go through with that. Uh, but it was a test, and we'll look at all of that in just a minute. But it was a road to sacrifice because it's going to begin here. It's going to really end somewhere else. And so that's kind of the most important part I want you to see. Um, just as, as a Christian, uh, and, I, and I've been a, a, a follower of Jesus Christ for, for a long time uh, in earthly terms. And, um, and you know, you, you, sometimes we wonder, what does salvation really mean? What does it mean to know Christ? What does it mean to be a Christian. We use some words that become kind of common, like, well, I'm a Christian. Well, that applies to people sometimes who just are not anything else. Um, in, in some places in the world, you're either this or you're that. You've you got to claim one, and so they don't want to be this, so they become, well, I'm a Christian, but they don't really know Christ, know the Bible, know anything about it. And then if you're like me, and you grew up in church, and you've heard about your whole life, you kind of wonder, Wow, did I, did I get the point? Did I, did I really believe that? Did I understand that? Because as a kid, you, you believe very easily what you're told. But as you get older, you start to doubt certain things, you know. And, and you got to kind of, uh, sometimes you go back and you go back through that. And like, did that count? Did that mean it? Well, the good part is when you remember that you can sum the Bible up in five words. I'm God and you're not. Uh, that, that, that relieves some of that doubt because I didn't save myself. I was drowning, and I can't swim, okay? Uh, not well, anyway, in real life. But I, I, was, I was sinking. I couldn't get out. I was going down, and God saved me. So it wasn't up to what I understood or knew other than he can save me, and I need a Savior, and yes. But as we mature, as we grow up, if you're a child, that, that's fine. But we also need to teach in that 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 salvation is free because there's nothing you can do to earn salvation. All, all you can do is say yes to God. He offers it and all you say is yes. You can't buy it, you can't earn it, you can't trick him out of it. It's just, it's simple, but at the same time, it's, it is costly. It's free, but it's costly. Salvation is free, but God expects us to follow him, to follow Christ. That, that this isn't just uh, getting fire insurance and then doing whatever we want. You know, I want fire insurance so I don't go to hell. But I just don't want God to bother me the rest of the time. And in fact, in Luke 18, 
Uh, I'm not going to ask you to turn there. Let me just quickly tell you a story. A rich young guy, uh, ruler of the people, came to Jesus and he said, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, Why would you call me good? There's only one good, and that's God. Now, it was a rhetorical question. He didn't wait for an answer, and he didn't give him an answer. But the point of him saying that statement is, you're addressing me as if I'm God, and you're right. And then he said, well, what are the commandments? you got to keep these commandments. And he named some. And the rich young ruler said, I've done that since I was a kid. And he's probably right. But if you look at that list very carefully, what you'll see is, out of the Ten Commandments, Jesus listed six. And they all had to do with your relationship to man, not your relationship to God. And Jesus said, well, then you just lack one thing. He said, what's that? He said, sell everything you've got, give it to the poor, and come follow me. And the Bible says he walked away sorrowful because he had a lot of money. He was very rich. And he didn't want to surrender everything to follow Christ. Now, this is how we know Jesus is not a Baptist preacher. Because the Baptist preacher chased him down and said, tell you what, just make a big donation and we'll talk about the rest later, okay? But Jesus lets him walk away. And I'm telling you, if Jesus puts in front of you the cost of being his disciple, he said, if you don't love me above all things, the way he put it, people misunderstand, if you don't hate your mother, your father, your own children, your family, your everything, you cannot be my disciple, now, does he actually want to hate them? No. It's a relative, he meant it in a relative sense of if God, if Christ demands this, our Lord Jesus Christ demands this, and something else demands an, a, a conflicting thing, you eliminate the other thing and follow Jesus Christ. That's what that means. And he says if you won't do that, you, you can't be his disciple. You can't be a follower of Christ, and I'm saying all that this morning to introduce this sermon, because God's going to ask Abraham to do something that sounds crazy, and the reason it sounds crazy is because it is crazy. Y'all didn't know God could do that, did you? He can ask you to do some crazy stuff. In fact, God is is, uh, very more extreme than, than are we. And so here's what I want you to take home with you today. There's a lot I want you to take home, but remember this. When God asks the impossible, don't question Obey, all right? Because what God asks of him is, is, it's an improbable request, but it's also an impossible. Let me, read the, let me read the story to you, just in case you never heard it. Uh, and also so that you get, can, when I start talking about these points, you'll see. Would you just stand up with me? It's 19 verses. It won't take but a minute. Uh, we finished uh, singing a little bit early, so I had a little bit extra time. And after these things, verse 1, chapter 22, first book in the Bible, Genesis. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac, and he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose And went to the place of which God had told him. And on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes, saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. And they went, both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. 
He said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. And when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife and to slaughter his son. Verse 11, but the angel of the Lord called him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you've not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of the Lord, uh, the name of the place, sorry, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. You may have heard that name in Hebrew. It's Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, Go, uh, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you've done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the, gates of, the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you've obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men and they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. Would you pray with me one for a moment? Father, in Jesus' name, we approach your throne boldly. But Lord, knowing that we only approach because of the blood of Christ who has uh, made us redeemed and, and part of the family of God so that we can call you Father. So, Abba, Father, we ask right now in that mighty name that you would open our eyes to behold wonderful things out of your word. Thank you that because Jesus accomplished your will, he was given the Holy Spirit to pour out on us. And so we thank you, third person of the Trinity, God himself, the Holy Spirit, that you have come to dwell in your church Dwell in the individual members of your church to lead us to, into truth and righteousness. And so, God, we ask now that that would be accomplished according to your will. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Wow. It's kind of a long story. And like I said, it, it sounds crazy because it is a little bit crazy. I, I do want you to put it all kind of in context. And that is this, that Abraham does not have a written law yet. There is, there is no law that God has given yet for Abraham to look at and go, oh, well, you're not supposed to sacrifice your kids, so what is this all about? Um, and so there's that. But Abraham, we, it takes us a lot later to find this out. And I'll, I'll say more about later. But Abraham did not think that his son Isaac would die. That's what the Bible tells us later on. He did not expect for Isaac. And if Isaac did die, he believed that God would raise him from the dead. That's in Hebrews 11. But so this is a really kind of a weird thing. And the only way God spoke to men then was by talking to them somehow. We don't know exactly how, or at least I don't. Maybe somebody thinks they do. That's fine. That's on them. I just know that somehow God hears, I mean, Abraham hears God speaking, and Abraham knows it's God, knows it's not just a wind or a voice in the distance or his imagination. So I want you to look at this, though. We want to look at it kind of carefully as we go through it. I'm, I want to just look through it first, and then I want to come back and say some more about it. But after these things, now that is a phrase that's found in the book of Revelation a lot in a different language. And the book of Genesis, it just means 
Okay, this happened, and now later on this happened. If you're watching a TV series, and sometimes you'll have, you know, the cliffhanger at the end of the year, and then the first show the next year it will say, three years later, you know, and it'll just pick up the story. Well, that's what God does by saying, after these things. In other words, there's some time in there. He's letting us know, because when we, last we left Isaac, he was about three years old. Now, if you're like me, you, you probably grew up thinking when this happened, Isaac was a little fella. We don't know exactly because the Bible does not give us a time stamp. But the word used here for boy, God says, uh, you, uh, the boy, when God is talking about him, it means not a baby, not a kid, but not yet a full-grown man. Or, or at least an independent, responsible man. So, the speculation probably accurate speculation is he's around 20 years old now I'm going to leave it there I'm just going to say we're going for sake of argument today pretend he's 20 he could be 30 he could be 15 I don't know but let's just say he's around 20 years old now I got a question about that for later how old does that make Abraham 120 yep simple math Abraham was 100 when he was born now he's about 120 and Isaac's 20. So what that's going to tell us later is Isaac is a willing participant. Okay? But I'll, I'll look at that in a second. So some time has passed, probably about 20 years. And then the Bible says God tested Abraham. Now, does God have to test us to know what we're going to do? Now, if you're, you've been in church at all, you know the answer to that is no. Why? Because God knows the future before it gets here. He knew the end of all things before he created all things. And time is a creation of God. Don't forget that either. I don't know if this is accurate, but it helps me understand it. You think of time as going from this date down the line to this date. I'm doing it for you. I know it's backwards to me, but hopefully that makes sense to you. So this is where it began, and it's going this way. I had a friend say, you know what? I figure out God just sees time. You just turn the line on in, and he just sees the whole shooting match at once. That's pretty, that's pretty right. Okay? God does not dwell in time. He dwells in eternity. He can drop into time any what time he wants to. I, I, I would go start speculating, but that's just silly uh, uh, conjecture. But, but God knows what's going to happen. The Bible tells us about Jesus. Jesus didn't entrust himself, for he knew what was in the heart of man. He didn't, need, he didn't need anybody to tell him that. God doesn't need us. So then if God is testing Abraham, why is he testing Abraham? So Abraham will get it. When your teacher gave you a test in school, if you were in school, if you are in school, you know why a teacher gives you a test? Not to punish you. Not to make you work harder. He, gives, he or she gives you that test to see what you know and to reveal what you don't know. So that you can then do better and learn what you don't know better. So the next time you'll pass that test. You with me? So God's not testing Abraham just like, well, let's see what happens here. And throwing this big thing on him. He's wanting Abraham to realize some stuff about himself. About who God is. So that Abraham can continue to pass the test. But notice, God calls out to Abraham and said, Abraham. And Abraham just simply says, here I am. Like, you knew where I was, you called out. It's been 20 years since, as far as we know, God hadn't said anything. 20 years, just watching Isaac grow. And all of a sudden, God says, hey, Abraham, yep, here I am. Didn't know if you were going to show up again, but here I am. What is it? 
And then God says these words in verse 2, and it sounds crazy. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Now, God calls Isaac his only son. Is God truly omniscient? Does he really know everything? Because didn't Abraham have a boy about 17 years before Isaac? Or about 14 years before Isaac named Ishmael? Yeah. So when he says your only son Isaac, what is he, what is he doing? He's pointing out that that Isaac is a particular important son. He's, he's a one of a kind son. What makes Isaac one of a kind is that he's the only son that has a promise linked to him. He's the only one that has the promise. Let me put it that way. Because Ishmael got a promise, but it wasn't the same one. Isaac has, is, is something God wants to do in history. And is going to come through Isaac. And so God calls him that only son. He is the son of importance. By the way, Abraham, after this, he only had Ishmael and Isaac born to him at this point. But the Bible says, no, he lives 175 years. And was having sons and daughters for the rest of his life. So he was a late bloomer, but boy, he made up for lost time. Kept having kids. All right? Yeah, amen. I don't know who said that, but amen. Um, And so he tells him to take him and to sacrifice him. So God tests Abraham, and Abraham's ready. Look look, look there uh, in verse 2. In verse 3, I'm sorry. He says he rose up early the next day. Abraham is sitting there ready. He gets this, this impossible, improbable command. And the next day, it doesn't say he questioned God, doesn't say he argued with God. Remember, he argued with God one time. Hey, if you find 50, 45, 40, 35, 30, 20, 10, don't, you won't destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, right? But this time, God speaks. He goes, got it. No worries. I, it doesn't tell us what happened. He may have laid his head down and slept like a baby. Next morning, gets up, saddles up the donkey, gets the supplies. Says, come on, Isaac, you're going with Dad. And they take off with two servants, and they take off. The Bible says in verse 3, he rose early in the morning. So he is eager to do the will of God. Or it's so, it sounds so bad he wants to get it over with. But I tend to believe he just wants to do the will of God. And so he prepares and he leaves. How long was the trip? Three days. They go for three full days. But look at verse 5 because there is a statement of faith in verse 5. Abraham says to the young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Now, I'm reading out the English Standard Version Bible. I don't know if you've got your Bible in your hand, which one you're looking at. Uh, Somebody showed me in the NIV, it makes it even clearer that he, he said, and he and I will return. But that is inherent in the verse. He doesn't exclude Isaac from the end of that verse. In other words, Abraham says to those guys, me and the boy are going over there. We're going to worship God, and we are coming back to you. So Hebrews 11 tells us, and it's the only place we, the only reason we know this is because of what God writes in the New Testament, Hebrews 11, that here's what's going on in Abraham's mind. I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm kind of curious. How do you go do all this? What are you thinking? (laughs) Because it is so unusual, it's so wrong. The pagans around Abraham and on through the Old Testament, they, if they uh, served the, uh, one particular God, they offered their children's burnt sacrifices on an altar. 
We do that in abortion clinics today, but they did it on an altar back then. And, and God's telling Abraham to do this. And in verse, but verse 5 hints at it. Hebrews 11 says, Because Abraham believed that even if he sacrificed Isaac, God would raise him from the dead. Why? Abraham's faith has grown to understand that God has made it so clear. That's the boy that's going to have boys and babies. And they're going to become a nation. Well, he can't do that if he's dead. And this boy hadn't married and had any children yet. So... The Bible has another Hebrews 11 that Abraham believed, well, God's not done with him, so if he wants me to do a sacrifice, I guess he'll rise him up from the dead. I don't know. But I'm going to trust God. If he told me to do it, I'm going to do it. And so with that simple faith, Abraham moves forward. But Isaac brings up a point in verse 7, and I, I, I believe it wouldn't have taken me as long as Isaac to ask the question. Look at verse 7. It says there, Isaac said to his father Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, son. He said, behold the fire. You're carrying that torch in your hand. I got the wood over here. But where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Where's the thing we're going to kill? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they go on together. And so I, Abraham begins to prophesy there in verse 8. In verse 8, he says, God will provide a lamb for the burnt offering. So this is the beginning of a, of a longer prophecy. So Abraham built an altar there, laid the wood in order, and he bound Isaac and puts him up on the wood. And then it says he reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter him. Now, I would bet, okay, and I use that word very loosely because I don't gamble, but I would almost guarantee that at least 99% of us in here, and maybe less, but a bunch of us, if you're anything like me, I heard this story growing up as a kid. Maybe it was the first time you ever heard it, so you hadn't had time to process. But if, you, if you've ever heard this story before, if you've ever read this story before, in your mind, don't you just Hollywood it up? I mean, you tie up Isaac, 20-year-old guy, 120-year-old dad, you know. He had kids, so he's 175, so he's probably pretty strong dude he's probably very healthy but still I'm only 62 I am not picking on a 20 year old I'm just telling you all right I, I just know unless he's some skinny kid been locked in his mom's basement playing video games his whole life if that kid I would take on but any other kid ain't no way all right just ain't happening and here Isaac is 20 year old lets himself be bound his dad put him on the altar so there isn't a struggle mentioned here he just allows this to happen I want to come back to that because that confuses me and then it says that he reached out his hand and took the knife. That's all that happened. Any picture you see, and if we were making a Hollywood movie, he'd be coming at Isaac, about to plunge it, and God's like stopping him with a karate move. He's like, no, don't do that. But he picked up the knife to do it. The intent was to kill Isaac. And God says, Abraham, Abraham. <laughs> says it twice. Make sure you heard him. And I, I got a feeling Abraham went, yeah, Lord, what is it this time? I think he's pretty happy to hear from God. It says he took the knife, but the angel of the Lord, verse 11, called him from him, said, Abraham, Abraham. Now, remember, we read about the angel of the Lord in the previous chapter, and we know that to be a name for Jesus Christ. Okay, our Lord Jesus Christ 
is the angel of the Lord here. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy, or, and there's the word boy I was talking about, or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Not from an angel, from God, the second person of the Trinity. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. There's a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And so he went, took the ram, and offered it at it as a burnt offering instead of his son. And so Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh. He does what God asked him to do, and God rescues. But notice what God says. Abraham said some things in verse 8. God will provide a lamb. In verse 9, he does what he's supposed to do through verse 14. But in verse 15, now God's got an opinion he wants to share. Okay? And here's what he says. He says, hey, Abraham, you did a good job. You did exactly what I wanted you to do. He says, by myself I've sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this. God is making a promise with himself. That's what it also tells us in Hebrews. That God does not swear by anything else. Not by the earth, for it's his footstool. Not by uh, his throne. His, his words are yes and no. And he says here, I, and the Bible says, since there's nothing greater than God he can swear by, he can only swear by himself. And that's a verse right here that teaches that. He says, I, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will bless you. I will multiply your offspring uh, as the stars of the heaven, the sand on the seashore, and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you've obeyed my voice. And Abraham goes home. Wait, what? I don't know if you caught all that. Let me back up. Because I finished kind of early. It's because I didn't tell you everything, okay? There's something in here. I've been talking about Isaac the son. And over and over and over it says, Your son, your only son. I've already hinted at it. Why is Isaac unique? Let me just tell you, illustrate it with myself. I am a son of Abraham and I am a son of God. I'm a son of Abraham by faith, not physically. I'm not Jewish. Don't have any Jewish heritage in me as far as I know. I did those DNA tests. I'm so Celtic, it ain't funny, okay? It's, I'm, I'm Viking, Scott, and Irish. That's it. But this, he keeps saying, your only son, your only son, your only son. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. I'm a son of God, but I'm not Isaac and I'm not Jesus. I'm a son of Abraham and a son of God, but I am a, a different son like Isaac and Jesus were. They are unique in the sonship. Isaac is the son of promise through which the Jewish nation will come to us through whom Christ comes to us. The reason God created the Jewish nation was to bring the Messiah to us, right? All of that history points to that. This is the beginning of all this. And Jesus is that unique son. If you translate the Greek literally, it'd say the only unique son of God. He's unique in a certain way. He's a particular son. There's something else in here. How long did this trip take to get there? Three days. How long was Jesus in the tomb? Three days, yeah. Kind of interesting. Three-day trip for Isaac to go to be sacrificed and 
three days come back. But and the place, do you know where Mount Moriah is? It's a it's kind of a it's kind of a mountain range, actually. God says, Go to Moriah and I'll show you the mountain to go to. But this is the mountain, the temple it sits on in Jerusalem. And right beside it is Golgotha, where Jesus did die. When the only begotten Son of God was sacrificed on a cross. And did you catch the language of the Bible in verse 4? When they lifted up their eyes, saw the place far off. What did Abraham do? Uh, I'm sorry, it's going to be in verse 6. What did Abraham do with the wood? Now, if you just read it casually, you'd say he gave it to Isaac to carry. But that's not what the Bible says. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac. That's some stronger words. It's not like, hey, son, get the wood. It's here. This is your burden. The means of the sacrifice, Isaac carried to the sacrifice. And we turn and see the trial of Jesus And they made him pick up his cross and start dragging it toward Golgotha. The wood was laid on him. Now here's the question. I I got two questions. Going into this study for this, they were still unanswered. Not so much anymore. One is why do you have to tie up Isaac if Isaac participated? Because a 20-year-old guy, he could at least run away from Abraham probably. And Abraham said, God will provide a lamb. And when he looks in the thicket, it's a ram. Now, I know a ram is a male lamb or a male sheep. The lamb is, the sacrificial lambs are usually in the Old Testament feminine, but they're, it's a different part of the beast. This is a full-grown ram. This is not a lamb. And Abraham specifically said, God will provide a lamb. Well, you remember Jesus in the garden? God, if there's any other way to save mankind other than me going to that cross and being a sacrifice, let's do that. Let the cup pass for me. And God said, there is no other way. The Father said, this is the will of my will. And Jesus said, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And he goes to the cross. He went willingly, but what bound him? He was bound by the will of his Father. And when Abraham binds Isaac, it's a symbol that Isaac is willing to be bound by the will of his father. That's important. But why a lamb? Because the ram is not what Abraham was talking about. Not at all what he's talking about. He said, God will provide for himself a lamb. And just in case you would get confused about that, He doesn't give him a lamb on a mountain. He gives him a ram on the mountain. So you don't go, well, there it was, like I've done for a lot of time. Well, then God provided a ram. No, it's more of a picture than that. Because God goes through the Old Testament, and then he goes quiet for 400 years, 300 years. And then he speaks through a prophet, the only, the last prophet, John the Baptist. And what does he say? In John 1, 39, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world when he sees Jesus walk by. There's the Lamb that Abraham talked about. Not a Lamb, 
God will provide for himself the lamb for the sacrifice. It's talking about the Lord Jesus. That ain't all. Now he makes a promise beginning in verse 15. He says, I have sworn because you've done this. You didn't withhold your son, your only son. I will bless you. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven, the sands of the seashore. Your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemy. Pretty cool. Well, it'll get even cooler in a second. Let me wait. Verse, verse 18. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Let me just put it out there. He's not talking about the Jewish nation in verse 18. It is not through the, the Jewish nation we're all blessed, even though they are the means to bring us the blessing. Here's the problem. We got one way to say that in English, but you can say it different ways in Hebrew. When you get to verse 18, and by your offspring, it is singular. He's not saying all your offspring. He's saying that one offspring. Talking about Isaac? No. Talking about Jesus. Jesus is talking about Jesus. By your offspring, by the way, that's me. He doesn't tell Abraham that, but that's, he figures it out later when he gets to heaven. All the nations of the earth be blessed. What does that mean? That means that you don't have to be Jewish to know God. That means you don't have to follow the Jewish religion to know God. If it was all those offspring that became the Jewish nation, we'd all have to be Jewish. We'd have to follow the Jewish laws. You couldn't eat bacon. Couldn't eat shrimp. Couldn't eat she crab soup. Shoot me now. Because <laughs> you'd have to keep all their dietary laws. Couldn't wear cotton blend or wool blend. You couldn't shave, guys. All you sinners out there with bare faces. You'd have to keep all these little delicate laws that God gave to show, hey, you can't keep all this. But by your offspring, everybody in the world, every nation, every tribe, no matter their color, no matter their nationality, no matter where they came from, if they will come to Christ, they become part of the family of God. And God becomes their father. He's, this isn't about Isaac. It's about Jesus. Isaac's just a picture so that we can see it. By your offspring, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Psalm 2, I said, my Lord, the Lord said to my Lord, sit here by my right hand until all the earth be made your footstool. And I want to go back to verse 17. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. Who do you say that I am? I say you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Peter, you didn't say that on yourself. The Holy Spirit, God, revealed that to you. And I say, you are the rock. And on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He will possess the gate of his enemy. And God's only got one enemy, is Satan. God loves you. He wants you to be part of his family. But he's going to whoop his enemy, Satan. And there's the promise in the almost sacrifice of Isaac. But it's fulfilled in the sacrifice of the Lamb of God. The Lord Jesus Christ. Whew, that's good stuff, man. Well, how can you apply some of this today? I don't think God's going to ask you to sacrifice your child. In fact, I know he won't. 
But you are probably, if you're not on a bad road, you're going to be on one. Pastor Andy mentioned it. We know COVID is going rampant at the moment. And, and uh, we have a high uh, rate here in our area of people that have contracted it. And some have died from it. And people are hurting from it. But maybe you've got something else going on. Maybe it's not COVID. Maybe it's worse. Maybe it's something that seems impossible. Something that seems like God can't do anything. But God specializes in the impossible. Jesus told us with men this is impossible. With God, nothing's impossible. All things are possible with God. And so that road of impossibility you walk, that's a test. You may fail that test, but it's okay. God, God will be with you and he'll help you pass it. Might have to go through it again. Abraham passed the first time, thank the Lord. But you may be on a road that looks impossible. It may sound crazy what you're going through. But God loves you and God will be with you and he will enable you to be victorious in that and and by the way i use that word and i don't want you to misunderstand when i use that word because a lot of people say stuff like that and what they mean is oh you're just going to have an easy time god's going to take care of all your problems you may die having a horrible problem that doesn't lessen who god is or what he's going to do for you i mean when you ask people how you doing well i woke up this morning it's a good day. I woke up above ground. Man, I'm going to be glad when I wake up above earth and above the galaxy and the created being, uh, order and I'm in heaven with him. That's going to be a good day. Till then, I got to struggle on. Jesus said, in the world, you can have tribulation, but be of good cheer. In me, you have peace. So I've got peace in a, tr a troubled world going to a great place, a perfect place. And so hang on. So when I say God will get you through it, he might get you through it that way. You never know. But trust him no matter what he asks. Secondly, obedience is the indication you're following God. If I had a son that was disobedient to me, and someone said, do you love your father? And he goes, well, of course I do. But he's being rebellious. His actions do not match his words. And if you're not being obedient to God, how do you claim that he loves you and you have his favor. Your obedience is the evidence, the, in, the, the, the sign that you're following God. And so I'm encouraging you this week to be obedient to God's word. Be obedient to God's word. Let me say that clearly. Thirdly, you are the reason God made that sacrifice. God made a declaration in the beginning of Genesis that the soul that sins, it will die. So if you eat of that tree, you're going to die. And when Eve took that bite and she didn't fall over dead, she went, huh, well, maybe God was wrong. And Abraham ate, knowing it was wrong, knowing that he shouldn't do it, he did it. And man became lost, became separated from God, became in need of a Savior. That Savior is found in Jesus Christ. When Jesus died for you on the cross, he bought for you by paying God the debt of death. He bought for you the yes of all the promises of God. So God says, if you call it to me, I will hear you and I won't throw you out. That's a promise made and it's kept through the blood of Christ. He died to make it real for you. You are the reason Christ went to a cross and died there. He didn't get off the altar. There wasn't another ram or lamb available. He was it. 
And he did it for you. He did it for me. He did it for all of us because we all need him. There's nobody alive that doesn't need him. We all need him every day. And so I want you to understand that so that if you realize, I don't, I'm not sure about all this. I want you to know that God loves you so much. He would put on a body, live with us, and die in our place on a cross after living a perfect life in an imperfect world to pay for your sin, not for his. So that you could then be born into the family of God, be born brand new, a brand new birth, become a son of God, by faith the son of Abraham. That's Romans 2, if you want to look up that reference and also um, in Galatians. We are sons of God. We are by faith sons of Abraham in that we have faith in God. And if we are those things, God has given us salvation and we know that no matter what happens to me. If I leave here today and I die in a car wreck on the way home or have a heart attack, and in my family that's possible, and I died this afternoon, listen, I don't know where the funeral will be because I don't know what she's going to do, but (laughs) if you come, come singing. When, When my dad died, my sister, who is an accompanist at her church, she's been playing keyboard since she was five years old, and she's 67. Sorry, I outed you, babe. And still playing for the Lord. So at my dad's funeral, she got up, went around the back where the organist is hiding, you know, playing. She said, ma'am, I just want to tell you something. My dad knew Jesus, and we know where my dad is. We didn't lose him. He's dead, but he's alive in heaven. And Lay said, and you don't want any slow music. She said, you got it. <laughs> this, is, this isn't a sad abrasion. This is a celebration. She didn't say those words, but that's basically it. Friend, let me just tell you, it's a great day. When I was a little boy, my dad told me that. That's why I know that he approved of what my sister said. He said, the Bible says God is found in the house of mourning, and it's better to go to the house of mourning than the house of a person's birth. And the Bible says in Psalm 116, precious In his eyes are the death of his godly ones. Let me tell you, when you know Jesus, you don't have to fear death because he experienced death for us. Real death, which was separation from God. God is now united me with him, so I don't have to fear death because I don't have to face death. This body is going to quit functioning, but I don't die. I go to be with him. And that's bought for us by the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And that's what I want for you. Father God, in Jesus' name, we love you. We thank you, Lord. Many people in our area, they're sick with disease. Obviously, it's affecting people in our church somehow because so many people couldn't be here today. But Lord, that's just a minor inconvenience. That is a momentary light affliction because you have saved us from death so that we won't even have to face death. So the worst thing we could ever face is a momentary light affliction because when we cease to breathe on this earth, we will take our next breath of celestial air and be in your presence forever. Where we don't have to worry, we don't have to fear, we don't ever have to have any disease or pain or bad things. All things are made great. So Lord, I pray, not because of that, but because of who you are, that you are God and King and that you put on flesh and died for us. You became the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. You said in your word that that you are the lamb slain from before the foundation of the earth. And so, Lord, we 
we call out to you because of what you did. You enable us to become sons of God, and we can cry out to you, Father. And I ask now that your Holy Spirit be poured out not only in your church, but on those who need to know you, that you would come into their heart and convict them of their sin and their need to repent and bring all their sin to you so that you, your blood will be sufficient for them, that it would cover their sin and they can be guiltless before God. What a glorious privilege. One that we absolutely do not deserve and cannot earn. And so, Lord, we pray that your will will be done, not only in our life, but in the life of all who might hear this. And we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.